Unity Community of Central Oregon's podcast, featuring Reverend Jane Hyatt. We hold the key to love and hate right in our trembling hands. The key to love and hate is in our consciousness. It's in our consciousness. Unity teaches there are five principles, and the first one is the only thing that exists is God, the divine, the all, the mystery, whatever you call it, love. That's all there is. There is not a two. There's just the one. That is all that is truth. The second principle is we're that. It follows logically. If there's only one, how can we be something else? We are that. The third principle is as creator, which is all that is, we create. Consciousness creates. So our consciousness is creating the world that we see. And when we look out, we are seeing a world that is terribly divided. We are seeing a world that is immersed in fear. Yes, we're looking at the violence, but every time that you see anger, if you, if you burrow down under what is the anger about, there is fear that is at the bottom of that. Anger is just an expression. You've heard of fight or flight. Anger is what it, the fight looks like. So people are afraid. And why are they afraid? They are afraid because they have bought into, we have all bought into the idea that we are separate from the one. And if we are separate from the one, we are separate from each other. But that is not truth. Truth is that we can never be separate. Truth is that we are all one. There is a saying that there is no right side. Even if you feel like you are on the side of the light, it's a side. There, is, there are no sides in the one. God is a circle whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. That is truth. We are all part of that truth. So when we look out and we see the things that upset us, we see the violence, we see the uncivility, we see the bullying. All of those things that we see that distress us. When we see those, it is incumbent upon us to question our consciousness, not to look out there. We all want to say, oh, look at that behavior. That's terrible. That should not be happening. And no, it shouldn't. But we can't do anything about it out there. That's like yelling at the piece of paper and saying, look at those mistakes on that paper. We can only fix it in the computer. We have to go into the program and change 
what we typed in before we can change it in the printout. So as we look at our world and we see the things that distress us, we have to look inside of ourselves. We have to ask ourselves, where have I failed to listen to someone else? Where have I been selfish? Where have I been rude? Where have I thought that what I believed was so much more important than what somebody else believed? And I think we can all find answers to that because we're human and that's what we do. But we've done too much of it. We have not taken the words of that song seriously. We have forgotten how to smile on our brothers and sisters. We have forgotten how to care for them. We have been too self-absorbed. And if we are in a state of pain, someone said to me the other day, if the pain is too much, it means that we're not doing enough. And I don't mean our busy to-do lists. I mean we are not reaching out to others. Yesterday, we had a food drive for um, Anna Thedford, one of our members, volunteered to collect food for the Giving Plate. Ben Food Project is an organization that gathers from around the, um, the city and, and brings the food to the Giving Plate, which has a tremendous shortage of food right now for those who need food. So hopefully next month, when the call goes out for the food, more of us will come together and, and buy groceries and bring them. So watch for that. That's something that we can do. We can, you can sign up for UCOUNT and find out who's going through what that needs some help in our community. There's always something that we can do for others. And that's important to take that action. But the first thing is to change our consciousness. So I have a story, actually, more than one story about separation. And, and I want to use it to illustrate how easy it is to fall into this trap. So I shared my excitement that my daughter is pregnant. But the dark side of that is that that same daughter has declared her sister you know, she's not going to have anything to do with her. She has shut the door. She, she will no longer be a part of her life. That is a declaration she has made, which for a long time has been tremendously grieving to me because it shatters our little family. We can't get together for celebrations because she won't let her sister be there. It's very, very painful. But what I realized is that I am allowing the story that she's telling herself that her sister is a cause of her problems and that her life is better without her sister in it. I am allowing that story to have validity for me. And I don't have to do that because I am the creator of my experience. I can tell myself a different story. Can I change the fact that, no, this Thanksgiving, I'm not going to be able to invite them both? No, I can't change that right now. But I can still change what I'm telling myself. 
I have that power. I can tell myself, and I am telling myself now, that this is a passing phase. Even though she says, never more, she's 34. I never even started therapy till I was 37. <laughs> so, and I had two kids by then. She hasn't had her first child. I know from experience that a child changes your life. And so I am affirming that there is tremendous room in the field of possibility for something to change. I am affirming that there is a love and a connection between them that cannot be disintegrated by this declaration. And I started asking my, <coughs> myself, <coughs> excuse me, I started asking myself, where is that happening in my consciousness? Where am I doing the same thing? Well, sure enough, <clears throat> I could remember, excuse me, I need a drink. I hate having to clear my throat in the time of COVID. It's like, <laughs> you can't just have the need to clear your throat without thinking, oh my God, I've got COVID, which I don't. Um, but anyway, I started thinking about my own consciousness and where has that happened? And I remembered, and I would like to say I was like nine or 10 when this happened, but I wasn't. I was like 15 or 16. And I drew an invisible line through the bedroom that I shared with my younger sister. And I told her, you may not cross over that invisible line. I mean, that's ridiculous, right? But at the time, I was very serious. It was like, this is my half of the room, and that is your half of the room, and you may not get your cooties over here. And I was serious but I was immature. And, and as time went on, that sister, who I had no use for when I was that age, became my dearest friend. We shared so much together, and I loved her deeply. So it's not a permanent thing. It's just a thing that is passing. With my older daughter, there was a time when she was off being 20-something, and she wasn't really communicating with me. And I started telling myself and telling others how disconnected we were. And then, but by then, I, I was a little bit more conscious, and I said, uh, that's not really a story I want to keep affirming. So instead of doing that, I just started picturing her from when she was a little baby. And I had one of those harnesses that kept her close to my chest, and I just, I just remembered how sweet that was and how we'd walk down the street together, and I'd be pointing out the trees and the flowers and just, just the sweetness of that mama-baby connection. And I just kept holding that and affirming this is a connection that cannot be destroyed. This is an eternal connection. And do you know... A few months later, when she came home for Christmas, she gave me a gift. I don't remember what it was, but it was something 
that she had to be so tuned into me to come up with the idea for this gift. And then I got thinking, you know, every gift she's ever given me has been a gift like that. So who was the one that was disconnected? Hmm. It was a very humbling experience for me, and it taught me a lot about the power of consciousness and the movie that we see out there is a projection of what's in here. And this is the place we have power to change. Another way that we separate ourselves is with sickness. The ego wants us to feel like everything is hard. The ego has great investment in us being victims. But we are not. That's not who we are. We are powerful creators. And so when illness comes to visit, we have a choice about how we hold that. I heard a story this week, and <clears throat> Mary Farrelly told me that I could share it. She and her husband, Fred, have been dealing with some serious illness. In his case, he had pancreatic cancer, and it was considered late stage, and they told him he just had a few months to live. And they were offering chemotherapy, but it was really more palliative. They didn't expect a cure. And Mary and Fred had been doing a lot of energy work for healing and doing some other protocols around, you know, healthy food, I'm sure. I, I don't know all the protocols that they were doing. And they were reluctant to do the chemotherapy, but for a variety of reasons, they decided to do it. But they did something really interesting. They decided to alchemize what was in the bag that was going into Fred's system. Now, we've all heard of alchemy in classic sense, it's changing lead into gold, but what it really means is we're changing and we do it in consciousness. We change one substance into something else. And what is substance? It's the manifestation of possibility. It's the particle on a whole wave of possibilities. They, in their consciousness, they held the idea that what was going into the bag was life-giving and that it was going to every cell in his body. So the result of that, instead of losing his appetite, as many people do on chemo, he was eating like a horse. And when they took his vitals, he had the vitals of a 21-year-old. For those who don't know him, Fred is probably in his 70s, I'm guessing, 60s, 70s, somewhere there. So that conscious intention, that refusal to be a victim, allowed a miracle of healing. Now, healing doesn't always look like the sickness goes away. Healing happens in consciousness, Sometimes, bodies are ready to let go. We live forever, but our bodies don't. So, 
I would never want you to take this and hear it as, if your body doesn't get better, you failed. What I'm inviting you to do is focus on your consciousness rather than the circumstances that are out there. Do not let your circumstances be the boss of you. These are printouts, printouts of your own consciousness and printouts of the collective consciousness. And you do not have control over the collective consciousness. You have influence. But your own consciousness, you have strong control over that because you are a creator. There is a, there is a story in the Bible where after Moses leads the people out of the promised land, he takes them and they're wandering in the desert. They get the Ten Commandments, all of this. It takes a very long time to get from the condition of slavery in consciousness to the condition of freedom. So Moses dies, and his successor, his hand-picked successor, is Joshua. Now, Joshua and Je Yeshua which is what Jesus' Hebrew name is, they come, those are all from the same roots as Jehovah. So those names in the Bible mean higher consciousness. So higher consciousness is what is able to lead the people from the desert into the promised land. And there's a story in the Bible about how the people circle the city of Jericho and the, and the walls come tumbling down. Now, first of all, you have to understand that this is not historically accurate. This is a folktale, and the purpose of the folktale was to justify taking over Canaan as a military thing. So later on, they go back and they tell the story to justify it. And the takeover, incidentally, was not this complete slaughter that is described. They lived side by side with the Canaanites for a very long time, and they intermarried. But they wanted to tell the story of their military prowess, and they wanted to tell the story that God was behind it, that they were God's chosen people. So. Whether or not you agree with that doesn't matter. It's their story, and that was the point of it. So I'm not saying that this story is an accurate historical fact, but the folktale and the purpose of it is in the realm of myth that has deep meaning. So when you listen to the story, this is what happens. The enemy is on the other side of the walls. And they are asked to process around the walls in silence for seven days, which means the fullness of time, the number seven. And they are to go carrying the Ark of the Covenant, which was their symbol of the place where God dwells. 
So in silence, they are processing with the place that God dwells, led by higher consciousness. And when they do this, there comes a moment where they take action. They blow the trumpets, and when they do, the walls crumble. What does that mean? The walls are the walls of our belief, the walls of our beliefs and stories that separate us and create enemies on the other side. Those walls can crumble. And we all have had that experience of having beliefs that have crumbled. When I was a little kid, my mother died when I was young, and I had the belief that God took her because he needed her in heaven more than I needed her. That was a belief that I had. I don't believe that anymore. That belief has crumbled. When I was a kid, there was seg segregation all over the country. Now, we know because of Black Lives Matter really making it so much more public in our consciousness that there is still tremendous injustice for black people and all people of color. But the blatant segregation of you can't use this entrance, you can't sit in this seat, that part has crumbled. It's not enough and it still is something. It's an illustration of a belief that is crumbled. Think about in your own life, what did you used to believe that you no longer believe is true? You didn't necessarily have to fight for that. You just had an expanded consciousness. And you no longer believe that. When I was a kid, I believed in hell. I believed in purgatory. I believed that if I didn't get my butt to confession and say all my sins, that I was going to have to burn. I believed that. And it was a driving force in my behavior because I didn't want to have to burn. I don't believe that anymore. I know now that that is, somebody made that up. And at best, it's a metaphor for a state of torment. Because when our actions are not in align with our integrity, we're in torment. And it doesn't happen in an afterlife. It happens here and now. So those walls of belief have crumbled for me. And I know that you have walls of belief that have crumbled for you. And so the walls that separate us now from perceived enemies, we need to crumble those walls. We need to be able to reach out to those who we perceive as other in love and kindness. We need to take action to heal our world. We can't sit idly by. But we have to do it from a place of oneness. If we do it from a place of fear, from a place of, all right, I'm going to put an end to this, that doesn't work. We can only do it from love, 
Love is what heals. Love is the opening door. Love is what we came here for. We have to do it in love. And when we do, when we go into the silence and we know our oneness, from that love, that consciousness, we will crumble the walls of separation and we will be one people, one planet, one love. Namaste. Everybody. You may talk about the man of Gideon, you may brag about the man of Saul, but they're not like good old Joshua at the battle of Jericho. Hallelujah, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls come a-tumbling down. Hallelujah, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho. Jericho, oh Joshua fought the battle of Jericho And the walls come a-tumbling down Up to the walls of Jericho With sword drawn in his hand Go blow them home Cry, Joshua, the battle is in my hand. Oh, Joshua, the battle of Jericho, 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 Joshua, the battle of Jericho, and the walls come a tumbling down. Lord, have mercy now, Joshua, the battle of Jericho, Jericho. Jericho, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls come a tumbling down. Trumpets began to sound. Oh, Josh shouted, Glory! And the walls came a tumbling down. Everybody, Josh, about the battle of Jericho. Jericho, Jericho. Hey, Josh, about the battle of Jericho. And the walls came a tumbling down. Hallelujah. Josh, about the battle of Jericho. Jericho. Jericho, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls came a tumbling down. Yeah, the walls came a crumbling down. Tumbling, tumbling, tumbling down. Tumbling, tumbling down. Tumbling, tumbling down. 